0: Welcome to JLab. It's a podcast from the Civic Journalism Lab, which is a forum for professional, student, and community journalists in the northeast of England to meet, learn, and collaborate. It's supported by Newcastle University and by BBC Northeast and Cumbria. My name's Ian Wiley, and in this episode, we'll be hearing the thoughts and experiences of Adam cantwell Corn, one of the co-founders of The Bristol Cable, on the opportunities and challenges for community-based journalism. The crisis in the news industry has in many ways been felt most acutely at the local level, where there are no economies of scale and smaller profit margins. In a region like the Northeast or the Southwest, this creates the potential for a serious democratic deficit. While mainstream local media has been struggling to cope with the challenge presented by the internet, community news organisations, sometimes in print, sometimes online, are blossoming. From the Medocino Voice in California, updating residents around the clock about the spread of wildfires, to the Bristol Cable's investigations into local council actions against rough sleepers, grassroots local journalism initiatives are emerging to fill the gaps. So let's listen to what Adam has to share.
1: Cool. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, everybody here in Newcastle. Um, We've just come from Manchester, actually, where we've been working with the Manchester Meteor, which is an early stage. Uh, startup community news organization that's looking to transition to be a cooperative model, uh, membership based model, which is what we are at Bristol Cable. Um, today, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about what we do both in concept and in practicality an overview of our organization, where we've come from, where we are now, challenges that we face, the positions that we take on certain things, um, and yeah, some of the lessons basically that we've learned in this kind of like burgeoning but still quite vulnerable movement for a, a new media that is filling the space that has uh, been vacated by um, the collapse of viability and quality of local journalism models. So uh, how did the Bristol Cable start? Or should I say a little bit quickly about what we do as a summary. Um, the Bristol Cable is a 100% member owned and led magazine. We publish regularly online and in print with a focus on features and investigations. Uh, we are democratically led by our members who participate at various different levels of our organization, on practical stuff, ethical questions, strategic prioritization of our resources. Um, and we also do a lot of training and events within the community that basically takes our journalism and the purpose of our journalism, which is to inform, empower, and engage offline and out of, out of print and into the streets and into community centers and um, other things as well, which kind of... Enable people to participate more fully in producing journalism uh, as well and publishing their own stuff. So, how did we start? We started in, launched in October 2014, so four years ago now. Um, and essentially, it was a coming together of interests of myself and Alon, who's here, so you can call him later with more questions. Uh, ba- basically, a coming together of our own personal interests and also assessing what was going on around us within uh, different sectors, not just the journalism sector. So with research, interesting community organising, the skills building, uh, experimenting with new business models, seeing that old business models had failed so thoroughly, not just in journalism, but um, in other sectors as well. And importantly, trying to expand the echo chamber of ideas that usually kind of resided within the alternative media scene. Um, I think it's important that we never really put ourselves forward as an alternative media organisation. Our aim really is to sort of become part of the mainstream and make mainstream the sort of journalism that we're doing and the way in which we do it. This is how we began, very very modest and humble beginnings um, with um, a piece of A4 paper basically and we took that around with a concept, with a, a set of ideas and parameters to Dozens of different groups and organisations within the city of Bristol reached out there, mapped them out, lending from community organising and community building disciplines, mapped them out from civil society, activism, universities, religious groups, public sector, you name it. We reached out to them and said, what do you think about the idea of setting up a local, independent, democratically owned media organisation that will do features and investigations led journalism? And it was basically from there that we then proceeded to raise some money through crowdfunding and organised a series of workshops and events across the city which kind of built our profile, solidified those relationships that we had uh, made contact with and recruited our first team which then took us forward. Uh, At this point we didn't have any other funding apart from the few grand that we'd raised through crowdfunding and it was led by volunteers who, um, like ourselves, who were working um, nights and evenings in other jobs um, to uh, sort of pay, pay the bills. So what is it exactly that we're trying to do at the Bristol Cable? This is our mission statement. Bristol Cable is trying to redefine local journalism through challenging multimedia, community action, and cooperative ownership, online, in print, and on the street, um, and what I'm gonna do now is basically just talk about those highlighted elements, local journalism, community action, and cooperative ownership, and basically, the, what they are are the three pillars of our organization. But just stepping back a little bit and at risk of labouring the point I guess everybody is mostly aware of here is that why we're doing this is that in our assessment of what was happening around us we saw a complete collapse of local journalism in its availability, in its viability and its quality with almost 200 publishers um, and I'm sure more since this date was released a couple of years ago that have closed, leaving communities underserved or misserved. Um, Part of our, it's not the only issue, but part of our diagnosis of why this is happening was to do with the ownership models and the way in which they were concentrated within five conglomerates owning basically a duopoly across um, 80% of the local media sector. Our local media organization, the Bristol uh, local media legacy publication, the Bristol Post, ownership structure looks like this, Uh, Bristol Post at the top there in turn owned by Trinity Mirror and then all around the uh, side of it in the boxes are what, can anybody tell me what they are?
0: Managers, hedge
1: funds. Yeah, so they're investment, um, um, investment businesses. We've got Schroder's, Standard Life, BlackRock, uh, Applebee. Applebee was the company at the center of the Paradise Papers, the big tax avoidance and evasion leak that was released um, earlier this year. And basically what we have seen is that companies are treating journalism, which from our perspective is is something that should be and must be run within the public interest as a public service, is being treated as just another investment asset. And when times are bad, There isn't the investment to deliver the goods that journalism should be doing. Instead, the approach is to asset strip, to cut newsrooms, to cut back on the quality, and to maintain, essentially, the shareholder dividends that are having to be produced every year for these shareholders. So how are we, in our very, very small way, and it is very small, and it's it's not proven at all, so there is a caveat here, trying to approach this crisis that is within local journalism it's essentially through three main ways one is through cooperative ownership and engagement so this is actually the ownership model but it's how we actually engage with the people who own what we do um, free at the point of access public interest journalism uh, say free at the point of access rather than free because it's definitely not free to produce and then education and events which is kind of part of the underlying ethos of why we're um, doing what we do. I'm just going to run through those now. Um, and basically what those three pillars, the theory is, the hypothesis is, is that we will produce a holistic business model for local journalism that supports our values, hopefully. So how does it actually work on this sort of pillar one, the community ownership and engagement aspect? Currently we have 2,000 members who pay a small amount every month or annually. They are. Um, actual shareholders within the organisation, they all own one share on one person, one vote basis. Um, and the way in which we try to genuinely engage them and produce a meaningful relationship with these people is by this sort of approach. It's a very low-tech graphic, but it's a, a, um, the theory is basically At the widest possible point, we involve the widest number of people in setting principles and priorities. What should we cover? How should we cover it? Ethical decisions about grant funding, advertising policies like that. And then as it filters down, it goes to the team who then takes the mandate that we have from the members to deliver it into an actually implementable strategy. And then the individual or working groups within our wider team, which currently now is eight people, full-time equivalent, to actually implement that. And that is editorial stuff, but it's also organizational and membership-based decisions and issues. So what does that actually look like? Um, It works on various different aspects uh, and across different forums in monthly members meetings, in annual general meetings, where this is something that we asked our members. We gave members three choices to choose from these 12 different options. And we said, what is the most important thing that we can do to improve our media? Um, it's important to have a look at basically all of the range, like what, is, um, what was favored, what was less favored, what was middling. And then the task for the editorial team then will be to take back these mandates, i.e. be more forceful and challenging power, more stories with direct links communities, and so on, and deliver that into our editorial product in print and online. Um, the other thing I guess to say here is that we are, we are a membership organisation. We are very alive to the fact that in this meeting, where this uh, vote took place, there was only 100 and 120 odd people there, which is a small section of our membership, which is an even smaller section of our audience at large that we're trying to reach. So we need to be bearing in mind the questions of who's in the room, who's not in the room, why aren't they, and can they be. Another aspect of our organisation is, is that. Directors who are a former trustee advisory role within our organization are directly elected from our members. So they are elected in the competitive election. This was the results from the previous uh, year, uh, sorry, in April this year. And they are people from across the community with different skills. They put forward their platform. And they provide an accountability function, an advisory function, helping to steer the organization and make sure that the operational team, which myself and Alon and others are part of, um, are working basically in, an, in, a, in a kind of a democratic nexus between the wider membership, the director's board who are elected, and then the, uh, the team itself. Um, and a big part of this is trying to address the real and actual perceptions um, of the lack of trust within journalism. Uh, as you can see here, journalists, according to this poll, um, is are, are less trusted than bankers, which is a really dire state for the industry to be in. Um, it's not just voting and, other, and that sort of thing that we do with our members and wider community as a whole, but it's through <clears throat> different discussions that have an impact on what we do as a newsroom. So we'll go to an area that's affected by heavy air pollution or a new development or a particular type of community of interest or uh, demography or demographic makeup and we'll ask questions, we'll present what we're doing and we'll try to produce a dialogue that reduces the unnecessary, some of the unnecessary barriers between communities and the reporters that, um, that are working for them and should be serving them, and not to forget that we rely on them more and more to support, defend, and fund what we do. Which kind of brings me to the second point here is, membership organizations are now becoming a hugely successful and necessary, urgent opportunity for organizations to take up. Um, We've been doing it for four years, others have been doing it for longer, we have a very particular taste on it, now, because of the collapse of, local, uh, of advertising across all media publications and in sales, everybody is trying to turn to some sort of reader-generated revenue, whether that's The Guardian, BuzzFeed most recently, Bristol Cable, Manchester Meteor who want to turn into a co-op now as well. Um, the difference, I guess, that we have is that we actually try to develop a genuine membership rather than membership which is actually basically just a subscription. And the difference is that we give people a stake within what we do. So the second pillar of uh, what we are aiming to do is free-to-access public interest journalism. Uh, we do this, as I mentioned, in a regularly publishing website uh, and on, um, in a free, freely distributed uh, quarterly magazine of 30,000 copies. Um, print magazine has been absolutely essential for us to. Try to get out of the sort of like small concentric circles of social media to kind of make sure we're reaching different communities, put it in people's hands, uh, and also for different groups of individuals who might not be as accustomed to um, reading and consuming journalism online. You can actually grab a couple of back issues from uh, the back there if you like. So, what is our editorial approach? We are very much a local journalism organization, but We are keenly aware of the fact that whilst we exist in Bristol and we want to be rooted in our communities and locally, we're not inward-looking, we care about what's happening nationally, we care about regionally, nationally, internationally, and try to draw the links between those things. Like, How can we draw the links between global warming or climate change to what's happening at the end of your street? Or uh, in the top example there, the Chinese state is behind a zero-affordable housing development in Bristol, the housing crisis is so big, but it's not just about singular developments. There's a systemic issue there where the Chinese state is able to, by a quirk of planning legislation, claim that, they aren't, that they're not cry poor to the local council and therefore avoid any affordable housing obligations. And then other issues, that kind of like bread and butter, local journalism stuff that many people, including in Bristol, are doing really well, um, like uh, exploitative landlords, or in this case, uh, ice cream wage scandal, a worker in a business, a very prominent local business that we investigated and had an undercover reporter in and found that they were paying their workers £1.50 to £2.50 an hour for um, many years. Um, and then other things that touch on how national policies are manifesting within the local area and how then people can um, be, become informed about it. And um, I'll talk a little bit later about how we can talk about issues that aren't just overwhelmingly depressing, because there is a lot of depressing news, but can also be empowering and um, uh, informative too. So it's not just investigations that we try to do, we try to feature different voices, amplify different voices that are heard, lesser in the mainstream media, do history, um, solutions-based journalism, so this place to shoot up one is a piece about safe consumption rooms for um, uh, heroin addicts, We even sometimes do stuff in different languages so that we can reach out to different communities that might not have uh, English as their first language. Uh, And something that we haven't done a lot of, but are intending to do more of is multimedia, um, video and audio, and interactives, which we'll be having a big one come out actually in the next month or so. Um, So to the point of how can we produce journalism that isn't just informative, but is also empowering and actually delivers something which people want to get involved with and support and back and see that it's making a material difference to their lives. I'm not sure exactly what the um, situation here is in the UK, but I read a report by the Reuters Institute of Journalism from uh, Oxford University that found 30% of Americans classified themselves as news avoiders. Um, A third of those people said that they did so avoided the news because they couldn't do anything about it anyway, so what's the point of knowing the information? This is a crisis for democracy in so many ways If people are disengaging from what's happening around them and what's happening uh, politically in the political civic processes in which they are part of. Um, so we're trying to address that by borrowing from a very long and honourable tradition within local and national journalism of campaigning journalism. Um, We do it in a way which includes our members as much as possible in setting the parameters, understanding the ethical considerations, um, and determining the topics. So as a few examples, this one was about making the controversial documents that housing developers use um, to um, avoid including any affordable housing within their new developments. These were previously entirely confidential. Uh, We had a freedom of information battle with the council, a bunch of, a series of investigations. Eventually, we were able to make informal alliances with campaigning groups and sympathetic councillors. And then, um, after about a year, Bristol City Council became the second council in the country to publish these documents. So now, when the Chinese state says, state bank who owns a big development in Bristol says, we can't afford affordable housing, we know that they're actually going to make 30, 40, 50 million pounds profit Um, but it's hidden in the accounting. Another example recently was taking on the um, unnecessary and unethical use of bailiffs to collect council tax debt. Um, A lot of people are falling into council tax debt because of general economic conditions, uh, housing crisis and so on. Council tax is a regressive tax which means that poorer people or people on low incomes pay less of a proportion of, sorry, more of a proportion of their income than more well-off people, which is completely in contravention of the idea of progressive taxation, like an income tax. And a lot of people are basically finding themselves opening the door to a bailiff who's in, a private company who's employed by the council to enforce these debts, within seven days having their debts added to by about 300 pounds, um, and then facing extreme hardship because of that, further enhanced by the council's use of bailiffs. We led a series of investigations and voices and solutions-based journalists to call on the council to commit to introducing an ethical debt collection pilot, uh, which they have now agreed to. They haven't rolled it out yet, so we'll see what's going to happen. But they have said that they will review um, their use of bailiffs. And actually, since they made that announcement, the bailiff use has dropped by 50%. This is something that's been called for for years by charities, poverty, anti-poverty organisations, politicians, but it was never going to happen with this government. And what we basically said is we can't wait for government to act, don't have to wait. There's an uh, opportunity here for Bristol City Council to do right by their citizens and collect more money for the, for the taxpayer, cut out the exploitative middleman in the form of bailiffs, and actually improve social and um, tax collection outcomes. Another example, which is a bit more national, was investigations that we did on um, police, mass police uh, indiscriminate surveillance. So this is an investigation that my colleague Alon, Ned, uh, which uncovered that seven, at least seven police forces covering hundreds of constituencies in the country um, had purchased but were not making transparent their use of devices called MC catchers, which indiscriminately soak up all of the data and metadata from hundreds of mobile phones every single second when deployed in an area so there 's severe implications for uh, protests, um, uh, lawyer client confidentiality, and other uh, human rights obligations after, after we published this investigation, uh, national charities, campaign organizations of Liberty and Privacy International brought a case to the Information Commissioner's office which forced the police to admit that they actually had these devices, um, which is the first step. I mean, we knew they had the devices anyway, and now they actually have to make transparent that they have the devices and some of the policy framework around their use. Um, So some of this can be really heavy stuff. Um, We need to get much better at making our journalism easier to read. Um, less, kind of like, have like less dense. Um, Sometimes it can be, we've identified that the the, the reading level within our journalism is too high and we should be trying to make it more popularly accessible and that's definitely a challenge that we face. But one of the ways in which we try to address those similar issues is by using graphic design and illustration to kind of like bring stuff off the page, illustrate certain things, Um, in a way which is just better done by using um, often freely available and quite intuitive and easy to use tools to uh, uh, visualize data or um, make illustrations. Um, As you can see from my funnel graphic and our A4 paper, this is not my area of expertise at all. Um, So then the third and final pillar following from community engagement and ownership and um, public interest journalism is the training and outreach and events. Uh, Up to this point, we've had over 2,000 people attend different workshops and events. These are talks on issues that are closely or less closely related to what we're doing but are interesting nonetheless. They're town hall style debates with um, election candidates or on, on... topical local issues and then also training programs so we run an annual training program called Bristol Cable Media Lab where <clears throat> 10 people who go through an application process are brought through um, 10 sessions over five months in the basics of journalism and investigative journalism hard and soft skills and mentored by members of the team um, and they now go on to become paid freelancers for the organization the ones who um, uh, take that up. So and there's just a couple of pictures. I guess one thing I'd say here is that we also, basically what this is about is um, trying to create something holistic around what we're doing. So we've got the journalism, we've got the membership, we've got the events, and all of that is basically geared towards producing a community around what we do. It's often said that local journalism and local papers used to be at the heart of local communities. Now, for various different reasons, and perhaps for quite some time, or they might be still in certain examples, particularly those that are emerging, aren't. And what we're trying to do is regain or reimagine or uh, uh, um, redefine what that looks like to have a community-based magazine that is doing um, uh, journalism of a high quality. Um, and it's also about adding value to the offer of journalism. Who in here pays for journalism on a regular basis, either through a digital or online subscription? Okay, so that's like maybe 20% of a room full of people who are interested in journalism at university. That, I don't know what the data is, the statistic is for like, um, the general populace, but it's really low. And, part, and like, it's no fault, there's no value judgment even, but basically we recognize that if we want to get people to pay even a small amount, we need to offer like a, um, multifaceted things, social opportunities, learning opportunities, delivering results for actual impact journalism, and also the enjoyment of reading a history piece about your local area or something that isn't like so kind of like um, big J journalism. So basically with all that, it's a lot of Work because it means that we spend a lot of time not actually doing editorial stuff. I mean, I spend probably about 20 or 30 percent of my time commissioning or contributing journalism along the same. Um, but is it, we're thinking about the business model that underlines and, and underpins all of this. You're often, when we think of journalism, we think of journalists. What we don't think of is the backroom stuff, all the stuff it needs to tick over, all the stuff it needs to grow and expand and deliver. Um, we're trying to think about that we are in a very sort of vulnerable place although we have been able to attract s- significant funding and now generate some money from membership and advertising um, and that kind of like puts us in this situation here sorry um, where we have the challenges um, one of these is a lack of a proper blueprint for what we we're trying to do obviously different organizations we borrowed from other journalism organizations, large and small, old and new, uh, other sectors. But for actually what we're trying to do with this kind of concept of how we're trying to deliver the model, there hasn't been a blueprint. So we spent the first two years kind of stumbling in the dark a little bit. Um, This is more of a conceptual thing. Basically, how do you as an organization create a coherent community around your publication or your uh, your magazine or whatever it is? such that people want to identify with it, they want to affiliate with it, they want to pay for it, but also be as broadly appealing as possible so that you can actually kind of have a diversity of your membership, diversity of audience and actually do put the public at the heart of public interest journalism. And the final thing is, I guess, capacity. Um, It's just any, this is the same for, in a way, these are, apart from the blueprint, the same challenges that are facing all other media organisations. Um, It's a high-cost business, the margins are pretty low if you're making profit, Um, and the business model is really tough, as we see, like even the giants who have resources and are even trying to address some of the systemic issues are really having a difficult time, though there are some promising developments um, in different places. Um, This, I guess, is the fundamental thing underlying it all. Is the cultural norm within uh, uh, well all societies I guess to not pay for journalism um, I don't think as journalists and as journalism organizations we've made that case well enough um, except to kind of like bang on about like tropes about like democracy and all of that, which is obviously really important, but it's like we have to be speaking a different language too um, because without unless we address that cultural norm, which is obviously not not one organization's responsibility and it's going to be a process we're going to end up like this everybody can see the elephant and so nobody cares to pay for it so what's next rapid membership growth we've got 2,000 members we need a lot more you can do the math 2,000 members paying three 000, uh, three pound a month is not a lot um, Diversifying and expanding our reach, so that kind of is the question of how do we reach more people, but also make sure that we're reaching a diverse group of people. Um, consolidating our niche, which obviously supports the, the first two points, be like, what is it that we can do, and this is what all organisations have to think about, is what is actually the market niche that we're exploiting. Um, and I guess one of the, our big learnings is that although we are a different organization to mainstream publications or mainstream organizations, there's a lot that we can learn from marketing, community organizing, uh, conventional business models to introduce that kind of level of organization uh, and organizational sort of structure and efficiency within what we do. Um, and then it basically, under, uh, uh, the supporting all of that is improving our engagement and our offer, both digitally and in real life. One of the biggest parts of how we've gotten to this point is doing the community building, first of all, going out, meeting people, speaking to people, putting on events, and you're building up that kind of like that loyalty, basically, that is often missing from the kind of like very consumer, transactional based relationships that we have with most um, uh, media organizations these days. Um, and then finally, this is something that we've only really started to be doing recently, um, is supporting other startups. So we're really happy to be here today um, and also working with Manchester Meteor earlier on uh, yesterday and we'll be doing so over the coming months. Um, I guess the I have to underline here so we don't know, don't know all the answers really at all. Uh, we've just got our experience to share and what we've learned so far. So thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to JLab, a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab in association with Newcastle University and BBC Northeastern Cumbria. I'm Ian Wiley. Thanks for listening.